everyone. This is Nick Castle, better known as The Shape. And you are listening to the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast. And Greg, I'm right out your window. Weaving in and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that would have totally rocked a Barry Kicks Ass shirt back in 1995. My name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, we're continuing our celebration of all things Halloween as we delve into a bed of thorns and talk Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers. But before we get into that, let me remind you, we're a part of the Boom Howdy Podcast Network. Boom Howdy. You can find all of our past episodes at boomhowdy.com, or the easiest way to listen in is to simply search for Nightmare Junkhead in your iTunes or SoundCloud app, hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your rud hole. And don't forget, if you are on the social media and on Twitter, you can follow us along at Nightmare Junk and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And speaking of the social media, uh, Mm -hmm. you can also track our social shenanigans here in the Kansas City area because this particular episode is going to be released on October 12th. Yes. Which means if you have been following along at home, one more week till Halloween, Nerdoween, Nerdoween, one more week till Nerdoween, sleazy sci-fi. That's right, kids. It's almost time. Make sure you bring your costumes for the costume contest and stick around to flex your nerd knowledge all on Nerdoween. That is right. It is our fourth annual Nerd Oween Horror Marathon that we put on at Screenland Tapcade. It's gonna be so gnarly. It's gonna be wonderful. I can't wait for this. Just just aliens and slime and just everything. And as you know, we don't reveal the lineup until you show up, but we do give you the theme, and that theme is Sci-Fi Sleaze. And dare I say, the films that we are going to be screening will be escalating in the amount of sleaze. It's gonna start off fucked, and then it's gonna end up what the fuck. It's gonna be great. So again, please come out for that. We are we, we normally never guarantee a good time, but we're pretty sure we're going to have a good time with we that. We always one. guarantee. I will always guarantee a good time when it comes to Nerdoween or any of the things we do because damn it, we're fun. It's fun watching threes like sleazy sci-fi movies. Yeah. And then save your energy because the very next night at the Alamo Draft House. If three wasn't enough, now we got four movies for you coming up, all with another different theme, and it's going to be great. Again, dismember the Alamo. Uh, we actually will screen four mystery films. Oh, we're going to school your ass in horror this year. And that's all we can say with that. Mm-hmm. Dare we get into any trouble there. So as we get closer and closer to the release of, and now are we calling it like Halloween 2018? Are we just calling it Halloween? What I are think we doing Halloween there? 2018 is fine. Because if we call it Halloween, like, okay, that's kind of confusing. Because like if the timeline's not confusing enough, we'll just call it Halloween tw- Halloween 2018. Well, you talk about the ho- the uh, the the continuity there. Um, unfortunately, and as we mentioned in our last episode, the uh, Halloween three season of the witch commentary, we are looking at some of the films that are being ignored in this new continuity with the new Halloween 2018. Because mm-hmm. as and it's for some people they're digging it and for some people not, but they're basically ignoring two, everything beyond yeah. two on. Yeah, everything, every even just the original and then this one. Is basically it. So we wanted to make sure that we are looking at some of these films that are going to be ignored because, you know, for every Halloween film that's out there, from 2 to Resurrection, mm-hmm. there are there are people out there that love them, that just adore them, that will defend them with their life. Yep. And that's what I love about doing the podcast is talking with people that love films like this. And I knew that if we were going to be talking anything regarding 
the curse of Michael Myers, anything regarding the curse of Thorn. There is only one particular person that we could talk to. And you can read our next guest's work over at, uh, amongst others, birthmoviesdeath.com, Daily Grindhouse, Dread Central, and F This Movie. But the biggest thing here is she is one of the contributing writers to the newly relaunched Fangoria magazine. She is definitely, truly one of my favorite writers on the web and an unabashed super fan of all things Thorn related. Welcome to Nightmare Junkhead for the first time, Anya Stanley. Hello. Nice to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Of course. Thank you for Absolutely. taking the time. Yeah, this is, this is like I said, ultimately, if we're talking Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers, there is only one person out there that is just truly qualified that has that passion and it has to be you. I, I am honored to have that distinction. I want that on my on my tombstone when I go. <laughs> well, before we get into anything, all things Thorn, uh, tell our listeners, where can they find you out on the social media? Um, please plug and promote anything that you're working on. Uh, social media, my handle, my Twitter handle is at Bookish Plinko. That's bookish as in someone who likes to read a lot and Plinko as in the uh, Price is Right game. I don't think I was sober when I came up with that name. I don't know why I have that name. But whatever, that's that's my name now. Now I'm stuck with it. And uh, my website where you can find most of my writing clips is Anya Writes. That's Tanya without the T, A-N-Y-A, writes.com. And as far as stuff that I'm working on, uh, the latest thing I have is, uh, like you said, the article in Fangoria magazine where I do talk about Halloween 6, among other Halloween films. That is that is beyond perfect there. Now, one of the questions that we always ask any of our first time guests is, you know, what was your horror origin? Um, what was it that got you into horror? Was it a movie? Was it a moment? Was it a book? But what was it that made you look at the genre and go, you know what? I, th I think I can really get into this. I was a few different things. When I was a kid, I was always really into it. I would read like goosebumps and scary stories to tell in the dark and whatnot. And then there was a moment where um, my mom let me watch Fire in the Sky with her. Holy I shit. <laughs> I don't know what she was thinking. I don't know what I was thinking when I sat on the couch <laughs> next to her. But I sat and watched it and I was terrified. I had nightmares for weeks about that alien abduction sequence. And uh, then the next week... Um, even while I was still having nightmares, I went with my dad to the video store. I think we rented Creep Show. I'm not entirely sure. And I uh, had to be eight, nine, somewhere in there. It was a 90s. I don't remember. <laughs> and uh, and then I started watching uh, Monster Vision with Joe Bob Briggs on Saturday nights. And that, that, that show was what really sealed the deal with horror. Were you, what, what did you think of the recent Shudder uh, reintroduction of Joe Bob Briggs? Were you able to watch any of those? I did. I watched a couple of them and I absolutely loved them. And I was actually able to introduce my son, who's 10 and loves horror as well. I was able to introduce him to Joe Bob Briggs and then show him some of the YouTube clips of, of the old episodes of his commentary on Monster Vision. And so I think I think it's wonderful. I had a really good time watching it and I plan on watching the entire uh, run of movies that he's done the commentary for. That's yeah, he's doing awesome. Um, my quick question, though. Um, how messed up did fire in the sky mess you up? I mean, are you still like to this day, if you see like a light in the sky, you're like, holy shit, they're coming or something like that. I have a thing about eyes these days because of this, this moment in the film where, um, yep. there's some kind of needle lance jousting needle kind of thing that's, that's stuck into this guy's eye. And I, I have a thing about eyes and needles and it's any kind of sequence in a film that, that involves the eye really gets under my skin. 
Which is weird because I'm a fan of full cheese movies. <laughs> I'm a bundle of contradictions. Right. That's, more, that's more like screwdrivers and planks in the eye, not necessarily medical experiments in the eye. I think they give a pass on that one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can only imagine because that's technically like aliens is something. And I don't even think real world. But if you, you know, look at like a lot of people's first horror, you know, alien horror is something that we obviously we're doing, you know, sleazy sci-fi flicks. And just to give you a little peek where uh, our little pre-show, I do show a little snippet of fire in the sky. Oh, the eye scene, actually. You know what? That is some next level shit right there. That is like that is being dropped into the deep end of the horror pool. Because like. Right. At age eight. At age eight. Yeah. That's terrifying shit. At age like 38. That's terrifying shit. So <laughs> kudos. <laughs> yeah. So the I got to be curious. Then, do you remember how you introduced your son into horror? Fire in the uh, sky too. See, I, <laughs> I want to say that it was maybe the Twilight Zone, the old series. Yes, nice. There were certain episodes that he was drawn to that were that were spookier than other episodes. And then I think the big movie that I showed him was Creep Show. Oh, that's so cool. Cute. And then he was he was all about it. And then and then he watched The Burning at a friend's house at a sleepover, mm. and um. That I did not give permission for that to happen, but it happened. And uh, I guess he, he he watched it streaming somewhere after that. And then um, he kept going over that boat massacre, the raft massacre scene mm-hmm. over and over again. And I started to kind of get worried, like, you know, should I say something? You know, should I? He shouldn't be watching this scene over and over and over again. And he turns around and he, he turns back to me and he says, I think I figured out how they did it. And um, oh, he, is... he had figured out the effects work is what it was. That's and cool. then a little bit later, he did the same thing with Friday the 13th Part 3. And so it was the effects work that, that really um, drew him to horror. He was more fascinated with that. And he still is to this day. You got a little Savini on your hands is what you got. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't wait to put like a bucket of blood underneath the Christmas tree, some liquid <laughs> latex. Right. It'll be great. <laughs> Hell, that'd be a great gift right now. Shit. Bucket of blood. <laughs> And like with latex, yeah, oh, that'd be dope. That you know, that's awesome. I I love hearing that. You know what I'm saying? Like just the keeping the generations in horror and vice versa. It's fantastic. That's what yeah, it, yeah, I think so too. And yeah, I love actually. And it's it's a good time for that to happen with with it coming out with mm-hmm. even a more more uh, less intense kids movies like the House with the Clock on Its Walls, the Goosebumps movies. There's there's more kid friendly stuff out there available. So that um, something to distract him from begging me to watch something like Martyrs or you know something heavy. <laughs> well, we we always talk about you know you can always like maybe distill something out of the burning. We always praise the patience of Cropsy yeah. for standing yeah. out in that boat that entire time for just... so long. But you you talk um, a little bit about um, kind of the gateway films then for you know horror for kids. We've talked about all the time about eventually doing an episode on that. You know, we've talked a little bit about like Superman three and that horrible sequence when the lady gets sucked in and turns into a robot or oh, what yeah. have you. You remember that part? Yeah, I do. It oh. is. Oh, it oh, is. Yeah. You should, it just it just clicked right now. That whole PTSD came right back. But you could just hear like, <laughs> holy yeah. shit. Yeah, that's right. That is terrifying. <laughs> it's horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about that. You know, as an adult, you kind of, you know, you distance yourself from it. And you're like, oh, OK, that's not that bad. But yeah, seeing it as a kid. Yeah, holy shit, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's it, it's so funny how that happens, though, in that transition. But it's always nice now at conventions and actually seeing generations of families attending these where you've got the older 
grand well god help me i could be a grandfather at this age at this point but like just seeing the multiple generations of family that are just so into it it's it warms the heart yeah. it's just it's such a nice kind of thing to see um have you guys been able to go out to any of the horror conventions at all we haven't been to a single horror convention oh, no. he's only been to comic con a couple of times oh, that's good though that's, that's that works that's definitely a transitional the one there I know. We, we, I keep hearing that I need to take him to Monster Palooza at some point. So that's the one I'm trying to eventually get him to. Yeah, I think, well, think Comic Con's a nice little kind of gateway into that. Now, the question is is he dressing up at all? Not for not for conventions, no. Okay. But for Halloween every year, he constantly pushes the school dress code. Limits. Yes. This dude <laughs> sounds year, awesome. Yeah, last year he was Freddy Krueger, and they said no costumes at all. You can't wear any costumes on Halloween this year. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a little footloose It was a little footloose yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. But he, he got around it by wearing the Freddy Krueger sweater and some black pants. And then that evening uh, he went and got his, his accessories on, and we did his face up. But, uh, yeah, so we're, we're going to try and do that again this year. He's going to be Jason Voorhees, part three Jason Voorhees. He was very specific about it. Well, first of all, I think that's fantastic. I, I got to say fuck Shelly for part three because that's <laughs> running joke on the show. But at the same time, part th- specific part three, that's fucking – that little kid is rad. How old is that's he? his favorite one. He, he's 10 now. <laughs> he's uh, dope. And his fav- it's his favorite one because that's the one where Jason, you know, gets his, gets his mask, gets, gets his machete, gets the whole, the whole shebang. <laughs> that's too good that's too, well and then i'm curious then ultimately you know because i you know reading fangoria back in the day you know it was one of those things i remember going to the mall and i would go to we had a walden bookstores in our mall and yep. you would see fangoria was on the lower shelf and i don't know why it was on a lower shelf just you know within to keep it hidden from the soccer moms of the 80s because <laughs> like they're looking at better homes and gardens the last thing they want is their kids to see fucking like you know, hatchet wounds and shit. Well, and that was always eyeline for us little kids down there. No, you know, right? And it was such a great thing. And I remember being a young kid and kind of looking over my shoulder as I would read it. So I'm kind of curious, Anya, does does he know that you're now part of this? Is this something that you'll eventually kind of hand down to him, do you think? Oh, he knows now, yeah, with, with the Fangoria thing. Yeah, he's he's fully aware. I was I was letting him in on it the whole time. And uh, he's got a Fangoria shirt. We bought a subscription. He's he's very into it. And and. My boyfriend actually had some old issues of Fangoria um, that he sent to to my son. So, um, yeah, he's he's fully aware of, of the magazine and my involvement. Actually, oh, my God, I felt so cool yesterday. He bragged to his friends on Fortnite about me. So not you yeah. made it. You made I it. Made You're it in like Flynn. For one day. I was a cool mom for one day. You're going to be the hella cool mom, like writing for Fangoria <laughs> and fucking like encouraging the horror and, 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 and the special effects and stuff. That was that's like back in our not to be like back in our day, but back in our day, that was almost unheard of, you know? So like, yeah, you're going to be you're, you were totally the cool mom. So props to you. I got to see if I can keep it going. I don't, right? I don't know what I can do. <laughs> Well, talk, if you can, a little bit about the Fangoria experience, because this is something that, you know, recently here, people have been doing kind of their their unboxing videos of it because it's coming and sealed with the black thing. You know, again, it gives it that sense of nostalgia, that sense of wonder. Um, what was the experience like going through and then, you know, ultimately getting the, the writing gig? Uh, well, I knew the, the editor-in-chief, Phil Noble Jr. Uh, I knew him from uh, the birth movies, Death Days, when he was a... a an editor at Birth Movies Death, I used to write for his column, uh, Say Something Nice. Mm-hmm. 
um, in which I would say something nice about a, a commonly maligned movie. Um, I did. I don't think I wrote anything on Halloween Six, but I did write something on Rob Zombie's Halloween about how much I appreciated that. And um, I, I wrote about several. I, I even wrote about the happening, about something I appreciated <laughs> about the happening. <laughs> And I still feel that way, so you know I, I didn't lose any integrity over it. What? Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> so it was uh, that was a really fun experience. And then um, at one point, he had reached out about writing about the latter Halloween sequels um, because I, I'm an unashamed uh, Halloween Six apologist. I'm, I'm totally cool with with being in the minority. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it. I think what it is is that he appreciated that um, that I didn't try to temper my love of the film in any way, like like saying, "Oh, it's a terrible film," but I like this one thing. I, I genuinely like the film entire, um, as long as it's a producer's cut. We don't talk about theatrical <laughs> cut. And so, yeah, he reached out, and uh, I talked to him about it, and then I, I I just I wrote something out, and. After that, it was kind of a, a scary process because I didn't know if the piece was going to be cut or not. Um, it's never a guarantee that it's going to make it into the magazine. And this is also one of my first experiences working, uh, writing for a print magazine. Fangoria, no less. So, so mm-hmm. I, was, I was on edge and I didn't tell anybody for a while, um, except for Shane. I did tell Shane, uh, my, my son. Uh, and then uh, he started to let me in on a couple of things with, with, the, uh, with the article and... and he showed me a couple of quick little snapshots of illustrations and captions and things that kind of led me to believe that, yeah, this is definitely going to be in the magazine. And uh, it didn't really kick in until I was invited to the launch party, which was earlier this week, the Fangoria launch party in Burbank. And then I got into the the Mystic Museum, which is the venue where they had it. And there was, there was Phil, his wife was there. There was uh, oh, so many names in, in, in horror. There was uh, actually one of the first people he introduced me to was Daniel Ferris, the screenwriter for Halloween, Halloween Six. Six. Oh, shit. Hmm. He was in attendance. And so um, I fangirled over, over that for a little while. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just seeing all of the people in not just within the Fangoria uh, uh, lineage, but in the film industry, in the horror community um, that... I've only ever seen on Twitter that I never actually got to meet in person. Um, that was when I, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm part of something really huge. Um, and it wasn't so removed. And then I realized it was actually going to happen. He showed me the the magazine. I saw my article with, with my name on it and I got to sign it for, uh, for him as a keepsake. And uh, yeah, I'm still high on that. I, I, I would be too. I, I was going to say I would probably roll that out for the remainder of my life, but you know that's uh, that's that's incredible. Um, and I think that's actually a good way to kind of transition uh, the fact that you know on our podcast we really are all about positivity. You know, we really mm-hmm. we never go out. We, we won't even talk about movies we don't like. We don't go out of our way to do that. If I don't like something, I'm just not going to talk about it. You know, or I can even find something nice to say. You know, as almost a go, to go along with that column there. Um, but thoughts initially because something that we've talked about with the release of the new Halloween film, like we mentioned, they are ignoring the continuity from two all the way, you know, to the Rob Zombie film. So before we start talking about The Curse of Michael Myers on you, I kind of wanted to thought, what are your thoughts on this whole erasing the continuity? 
it makes me sad, but I, I get it. I ultimately get it. It's it's very convoluted. It's it's congested um, when you when you try to navigate all of that, and it really is better if you're going to do a clean start to just start at the beginning again um, and and work from the second film on. That 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 works. And uh, I ha- had you guys seen the 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 new Halloween yet? Not yet. We were waiting okay. on bated breath. Have you? I did. I saw it at Fantastic Fest uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and I think I think it works. I think it definitely works, and that was a good route to go for for the the filmmakers involved um, to ignore to ignore Buster Rhymes and, and to <laughs> yeah. ignore you know the Cult of Thorn. That said, I, I read recently that uh, Bloom wants to do more Halloween sequels, so you know the chance is there. The opportunity is there if they want to if they want to thorn it up a little bit. <laughs> well, I'm I guess gonna harass him on Twitter. Oh uh, yeah, let yeah. the let the campaign begin there. Uh, hashtag <laughs> yeah, exactly. more thorn <laughs> thorn in twenty twenty. <laughs> well, I guess that's the best time to talk about it then. Regarding the curse of Michael Myers, I remember seeing the teaser trailer for this one, and I remember it really freaking me out because that's one thing you know. Halloween has always stayed in my psyche whether it's the music, where it's the shape of the shape. But there's that great teaser trailer where it's got an older lady talking to this group of kids, and she's talking about the things that we do during Halloween, and it's ultimately to ward off the boogeyman. And then when she says the boogeyman, you get this like a little flash of lightning, and you see the shape in the background. I was like, ooh, that looks good. <laughs> and then I saw the movie, and again, this is one that I've always enjoyed, but ultimately I'm kind of curious. on what was, Do you remember your first time actually seeing and experiencing Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers? I actually don't remember the first time I saw it. It had to be uh, had to be the theatrical cut. It had to be probably on TV at some point when I was a kid. Uh, it wasn't until I was an adult that I revisited it at some point. I think it was when I was in the Army. I was in Germany, and there was a DVD floating around somewhere of the theatrical cut. And um, that was when I watched it uh, again. And I thought, man, I, I remembered that on the message boards, people had mentioned some other cut that had different endings. And, um, I thought that I had seen that before, but I wasn't sure. Um, and I still don't know if I had ever actually seen the producer's cut as a kid. Uh, I doubt I ever have because you know, they didn't even put it out on, on DVD until what? 2013, 2015. Yeah, mm-hmm. Definitely within the last 10 years. That is for sure. Yeah. And until then it was a bootleg, right? Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned, it was kind of this thing that you heard about. It was this mis- magical thing. A unicorn. Yeah. yeah. And when you finally saw it, though, it's one of those things because we watched it also recently just to kind of get a Because I actually was able to see it in the theater a couple of years ago uh, during one of the uh, uh, Dismember the Alamo marathons we had. It was actually a really interesting lineup. They kicked off with uh, Halloween, the Curse of Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. We then followed that up with a 35 millimeter uh, print of Suspiria. Suspiria. Oh. Which was, yeah, exactly, exactly. And then they followed that up with The Strangers. And then we closed out everything with The Invitation. Huh. So it was That's a, all over the place. Yeah, and it was yeah, definitely more of a, a sl- slower burn kind of a buildup, but it was such a unique way and just such a distinctly different thing to do with Halloween 6 with those other films. Mm-hmm. But being able to see it with, you know, an audience, and that's the one thing that we always love here, just that communal experience you get. And I suppose that's a good idea. Have you been able to see it since then in the theater by any chance? No. You know what? I've never actually seen any version of The Curse of Michael Myers in a theater at all. 
Boo Urns. Boo Urns. I know. I know. I, I feel a lot of shame right now. Oh, no, no. Yes, I've never the sh- seen it in front of a big out. Well, and honestly, I think the issue is because, you know, let me ask you this. Have you seen the original Halloween in the theater? I have. There yes. we go. Um, and Because ultimately, they, they always show those. You know, unfortunately, you never see the curse of Michael Myers as an mm-hmm. option for that. Uh, you never see part five, you know, let's face it. Um, I know here in... We're we, we've shown four. We've been fortunate We've enough. been fortunate to show four, but other than that, I think only one and two are the ones that are really, and not even that two, I would even go just one is the one that you see all the consistent time in Halloween season. But no, yeah, I think it's time to start bringing up some of the old ones, some of the some of the sequels. Well, I noticed something that when you did your live tweet there, Anya, as you mentioned, and it's something that we've actually talked a little bit about before as well. You know, we talked about a little off mic, but Halloween 3, it eventually kind of found an an audience. And we've talked about it before, just like we, for the most part, agree that most of the horror community kind of embrace Halloween 3 now. They realize, even though it doesn't have Michael, it's got crazy Irish witches, it's a lot of fun. But it probably wasn't until like late 2000s. Yeah that a lot of people came around to that. So you think about, you know, Halloween three came out in 1982 and for it to take that long for it to find an audience, you know, with Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers, we're talking 95. So maybe now it can find an audience. What, what do you think about that? Potentially. I think, I think it can, especially with the producer's cut being the, the Blu-ray being readily available. Now it's $6 on Amazon prime right now. <laughs> Get out on it. Okay, let's let's talk about the difference between the theatrical cut and the producer's cut because I think for most people, and even the box sets that I got from Scream Factory, it didn't include the producer's cut. Mm-hmm. It was something I had to go out individually and find. Um, That's so right. ultimately, and you are obviously on the gospel of the producer's cut. So if you had to <laughs> sell us on the difference between the producer's cut and the theatrical cut, how would you sell us on it? Well, it depends on if you if you really like that gang gang cult stuff. <laughs> um, the producer's cut goes whole hog into it, whereas in the theatrical cut, the the motives that the cult of Thorn has um, for for controlling Michael the way they do, those motives are more secular and scientific. They're trying to do it for the greater good of the scientific community. They got like fetuses in jars, and it's it's kind of it's different. But it's I love when they go whole hog into the cult, the pagan cult stuff, and they do that um, fully in the producer's cut. Um, and also, there's 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 a huge difference in the third act. Um, it, there are two differences in how uh, Dr. Loomis is sent off, in how the ending is, like the last few moments of the film. Uh, in one ending, uh, Paul Rudd gets to beat Michael Myers up with a pipe. In the other ending, he doesn't. <laughs> So it's um, it kind of depends on, on what you want. But for me, the producer's cut is more cohesive and it, it doesn't jump around as much as the theatrical cut does because they, they weren't entirely sure what they wanted. There were a lot of cooks in the kitchen uh, on that film. There was there was Ferens, there was the, the Akkad family, there were producers, there was a studio and there were just, what was that, that phrase, too many chiefs? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and so you had the chance, obviously, to talk with it. Were you able to kind of shoot the shit with him regarding the the process with Halloween? I only asked him one question about um, whether he preferred the producers or the theatrical. And, of course, it's the producers. Kind of. <laughs> Justified. <laughs> yes. I didn't, I didn't want to bother him too much about it. It was a, a crowded party, and I didn't want to be that, that person who, like, corners someone and then, you know, constantly harps on something. <laughs> you're, you're a professional. You know, it's all about etiquette. 
Yeah, yeah, I was trying to. Plus, I had like two margaritas, so I, I, <laughs> I was really mindful of, of not being the drunk person cornering someone else. And so, um, yeah, yeah, so I only asked him the one question. And then actually at that point, uh, uh, Phil uh, grabbed me and, and I mean, he didn't grab me, but, you know, he, he kind of herded me away to, to meet some other people involved with the magazine. That's awesome. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, so. Daniel Barron's prefers the producer's cut. That should have been the selling point. <laughs> Don't listen to anything I said earlier. Just, that's your selling point. That's it right there. Just poof. Well, I think also the other selling point that you could potentially use for people, especially if they're not familiar, is the fact that this is technically, you know, the first two films of one, what was it, Paul Steven Rudd, I believe, as he's credited. Yeah. Although Paul I guess Steven technically Paul. in the producer's cut, though, isn't he just Paul Rudd? I think he is actually. So again, I'm another actually, reason I'm to go with the producer. I have I have all of my my Halloween films in front of me, and I do have the Scream Factory box set, and then I did get the Unrated Producers cut after finding out. I was very upset when I found out that it was the uh, theatrical cut that was in the box set. It does not say. Oh, bummer, bummer. But I think that's technically a way that you could really bring, because again, this is a guy, that, he's an Avenger at this point. Right. And yet he is in a Halloween movie. So I definitely think that's something you could like entice people in. It's like, hey, you know what? Got a little Paul Rudd here. What do you think? What do you guys like Paul Rudd, right? Right? As he steals Ooh, okay. babies. Okay, so I'm holding the bootleg DVD of the Halloween 666, The Origin of Michael Myers. Oh, yes. And... It says Paul Steven Rudd. Ah. <laughs> I guess he just didn't have enough confidence in that one. And I'll be honest, though, because I love Paul Rudd, and he's actually a Kansas City boy, mm -hmm. so he's, you know, local here. But I don't know if it's some of the choices he was making in the movie. He and was I, a creep. <laughs> he was a creep. I mean, like, I mean, I mean, just as from a character standpoint alone, you know, just like one He's peeping in the windows, right? It's and kind then of he's an like, auspicious beginning. Right? And then he's like, come on over. I'll keep you safe in my room. <laughs> and then when he's stealing the baby, like that, it, it made me laugh. I mean, I don't like movies don't, I don't jump out of movies, it, it, but it doesn't take me long to like laugh at something. Not like funny, like, <laughs> oh, not like, oh, that's stupid, but like, oh, that made me laugh, you know? But when he's, there's a scene when he's hiding from the cops and he has the baby and he's walking down the hallway, he turns around before he runs into the room and he's like, hey, like he's stealing a baby. And they're like, security, somebody's stealing a baby. And so like, then he runs into the room and like, it's okay. But at the same time, I'm like, you're kind of creepy, Mr. Rudd. You know, it's just, that he just... is. He is a trauma victim, <laughs> and I might add that he was right about everything. Oh no, he's 100 percent right. I mean, but you could be right and still be creepy. You know what I'm saying? He's a little creepy. He's a, he's a teeny bit, just a smidge. I baby. mean, the, yeah. I mean, like non creeps don't like peep in windows with cameras. I mean, just... well, there was even just some of his his reactions to to Michael Myers when he sees him. You know, for a first couple of times, and he just gives those really weird reactions. And again, I don't know if it was a conscious decision. I don't know if it was like uh, if it was Joe Chappelle was you know given certain directions. But kind of like what Eugene, it didn't take me out of the movie, but it was definitely noticeable. Um, but again, and it, but I, I think it adds to kind of the eccentricity of the yes, film. Absolutely. Which I like. And you mentioned it before, Anya, is the fact that they did do something different. Mm -hmm. And when we're six films in, we you kind of need to do something different. You know, if you give us the same, just, you know, wash, rinse and repeat, eh, we're going to have diminishing returns. Yeah. 
And that's what I like, especially with this film, is the first half, it just kind of plays like a traditional Halloween film. In fact, I'll even say this, and you actually screenshot it, Anya, and I'm glad you did, because it is a, it's probably the best shot in the movie. But that the moment when Kim, Dar- Kim Darby, and spoiler alert here, kids, but before she meets her demise, you get that shot of Michael Myers and that reveal. And it's yes. one of those, it is, yeah. it's one of those shots in there shot. that's a good little shot. It's beautiful. And actually, even like his reveal at the intro, when he kind of comes out of the shadows and kills the nurse initially, it's kind of like Dean Cundy light, but it's not a bad little reveal. Yeah, yeah, especially considering the kill that comes right after it. Oh, talk about the meanness of the kills. Holy moly. Michael Myers is mean as shit in this movie. I mean, like, he's like mean. He's adding insult to injury in a lot of things in this movie, and I dug it. I mean, I dug the way he dispatched a lot of people. I mean, at first I was like, this isn't my Michael, you know, because like he because he's just like a stabby, stabby, I'm done thing. But this one, he was like, I'm going to fuck with you. And I I kind of enjoyed it. You know, a little character tick of Michael Myers. Yeah. Yeah. And it was there have been some problems in the, in the fourth, fifth and sixth films where they showed the film to test audiences who panned each of these films because they weren't bloody enough, where it was just, like you said, it was just kind of stabby-stabby, and that's it. Although I, I would note that the original doesn't really have all that much blood in it. Exactly. No, it, it, and none at all, which is, like, that's why I was like, this isn't my Michael, but at the same time, it was one of those, like, you know, I can get behind. I enjoy this Michael but as well. that's why you should watch the producer's cut, because I know with the producer's cut, they really take a lot of the gore out as well. Yeah. Like, he doesn't have the exploding head scene. Right. Um, so they, they do tone it down a bit and they add a little bit more story, which is good because that's kind of what you need with something like that. But also, you know, what I really liked is the fact that they really tried to kind of coalesce all of the films together. You know, one, two, four, five, especially when the fact that you have, um, was it Dr. Wynn mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. his reemergence as just kind of a throwaway character in the first one and then have him come into it. I kind of like that. It's something that, yeah. again, they're doing something different. They're trying to you know bring everything together. But as you said, Anya, there's just too many cooks in the kitchen right now. And I think you definitely that you, you it hurts the overall film. Yeah. And then Daniel Ferris actually have a quote from him that was on the Blu-ray for the producer's cut. I'm not sure where I got it. It's it's no it's definitely I, I took notes during the audio commentary. Um, but yeah, he. Uh, are you laughing at me that I take notes during the audio? No audio no, commentary? no 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 no. It's thing. it's one of those it's one of those laugh like like not laughing with you because yeah we kind of do the same thing here so okay. no it's like it's, we're, it's like we're not the only ones. <laughs> so. Exactly. But in this this quote, uh, Daniel Perrin says, I thought it would be fun to tie in the pagan elements of one and two with four and five and take all the disparate characters and put them together, which was probably too ambitious. So even he admits that it was he was really shooting for the stars, but ultimately um, at the time it didn't land with audiences. And it's kind of a shame, too, because, like I said, if you take kind of the level of weirdness with the cult aspect, it does make kind of almost a complimentary movie to part three as well, just with the the you know the irish witches and that cult that we get in with that genius you kind of even mentioned you would have liked to have seen maybe a crossover with yeah that. it may maybe the cult of thorns is actually part of uh, daniel who hurley's uh master celtic stroke you know like michael myers is infused with a bit of stonehenge you know <laughs> <laughs> that's what we forgot was in the shatner mask was actually it is you know it's a silver shamrock mask that's what it is there could have been your tie-in connection there um actually Boom. 
real quick thought, and I think this is what kind of really turned a lot of people off as well, is the fact that Danielle Harris didn't return to her role as Jamie. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I know even with me, that was kind of a point of contention because when ultimately when she's dispatched, I didn't it didn't have didn't really affect me as much as I thought it would. Yeah, there definitely would have been more emotional impact to it had it been Daniel Harris mm-hmm. uh, sitting there. And from what I had <laughs> heard in the, oh, where was it? There was, um, oh, an Icons of Fright interview um, with Daniel Harris. That's where I got that earlier quote from. Um, there was a documentary that I found on YouTube of Halloween's four and five. And Daniel Harris uh, speaks on that and talks about how she she just wanted like a fair amount of money and they didn't want to give it to her. Yeah. And that's basically it. And it's a shame because she really made that role hers and mm-hmm. made four and five that much better, which leads me. I wonder what six could have been like or how I shouldn't say six, but the curse of Michael Myers. I wonder what it could have been like if we would have had Daniel Harris in that role. I think I think people would have definitely been more tuned into it from the beginning. And maybe would have been more receptive to the whole Thorn thing had that happened. Yeah. Although with with her involved, well, no, it was more about saving the baby than anything else, and not not so much her. Mm. But I, I do remember someone saying, um, I want to say it was a screenwriter of five, who wanted uh, uh, Jamie to sort of pick up the baton, you know, with the ending mm-hmm. with her, uh, uh, with the knife and everything like that after killing. She, um, they wanted her to pick up the baton and sort of kind of take Michael Myers place or work alongside him, sort of in tandem with him. Um, so that would have been another interesting way to go for Halloween six, but that never happened. A lone wolf and cub as Halloween kind of approach. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of, I, I kind of dig that idea <laughs> looking back. There, I mean, there's a lot of things that they could have done, and even w- between the theatrical cut and producer's cut, we talk about the endings being oh, genius. But, you know, the, there was a lot of things that could have been done, but there was a couple of things that I really fucking enjoyed about this movie, because I'm going to come out and be honest. I'm not the biggest fan of this movie, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of Halloween things, but when we saw it, because I saw it in the theater, and I dismissed it, and I was like, mm, whatever, you know. But then when, upon this rewatch, I was like, I am coming around. I'm like I said, it's still not my favorite Halloween movie, but there was a very had a lot of influences. There was this one scene in particular that just struck me. It was the Jallo scene. That's what I'm calling it, where he's walking down the hallway and it was red and the angle's just a little bit different and the music the is bombastic and percussion. It's like this is a fantastic scene. It's well shot. It's scary. It's tense. It's taut. I dug the shit out of that scene. What's is this theatrical or producers? This would have been theatrical that we watched. So it was at the end. So I guarantee after the the hospital massacre. Yep. Yep. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it and it really does. It it really kind of the the scene itself does pop because it does have a little bit more style than we got with some of the other ones with some of the earlier scenes. I would even say there's that bit right before the hospital massacre when uh, Doctor Wynn is putting on his like dead ringers esque. Yeah, his (laughs) Cronenberg scrubs. scrubs. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, and the problem was when we bought, we were we both just kind of like, ah, Dead Ringers. But then the media was like, well, should we be watching Dead Ringers now? No, let's keep, let's continue on. We've got this. We've got this. But that's the other thing. Um, just kind of looking at what would they have been able to continue along with this storyline had it been more successful? You know, would we have continued with the Curse of Thorn? Um, obviously, with Donald Pleasant's passing, that was problematic. But I think they were maybe looking at Tommy Doyle as a transference of that. So I would act as the Halloween 
curse of Michael Myers expert here, Anya. Where were you? What, what would you have uh, liked to have seen happen in a perfect world if they could have continued that? I would have liked to see what uh, Daniel Ferens said <laughs> he wanted to do in the um, in the Icons of Fright interview, and he says, "Actually, I got it in front of me." He says, uh, "Mr. Ricard read it." Ah, okay. There were probably about 10 drafts of the script, I'd say, in total. And also the original treatment I wrote was really ambitious. And I think that when Mr. Rakad read it, he felt that it was too much for one movie. But then he felt that, oh, this could be a part. This could be for part six. And the second part could be for part seven. For part seven, we would learn that more of the town, much of the town of Haddonfield was sort of involved in this kind of conspiracy. And we never got to that because they made H2O. So I would have liked to see how deep the the thorn cult goes and even how far back the 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 cult goes i would like to think that they did this before myers came along that they just kind of discovered him and maybe they did it to someone before that because it was a bloodline sacrifice thing right yeah that's brilliant oh my goodness that's fantastic that's almost like the 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 neighborhood watch association from hot Hot fuzz Fuzz. being in the cult of thorns almost like the 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 weird yes oh that would have been great and then just continue making like like a weird army of michael myers and their cult just take over the world and like every day's halloween oh gosh wow (laughs) that that that's and awesome. It's in line with the original. The, yes. the original, it was the, the night of Sam Hain when yeah. the veil between the living and the dead is at its thinnest on that night. Evil of Michael Myers is released. He becomes active. He sleeks out his bloodline. And in this movie, it's kind of the last of the bloodline. You can always mm-hmm. go back to the beginning of it. Man. Okay, so apparently we need wow. to copyright some of that because just in case, <laughs> and, and then bring in the and bring in like the silver shamrock, bring the bring in and make the cult of thorns the cult, the one that was trying to destroy the world with the masks. Exactly. <gasps> oh, that's brilliant. That's a million dollar idea. Bloomhouse, yeah, Bloomhouse. If you're listening, you're not. But if you are, <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing that I love the fact about this film is it is very much a '90s film in regard to the production design, all the way down the fact that one of our characters is a shock jock, which is something that <laughs> could only come out in the '90s. We've got Barry Sims basically playing the Howard Stern part. And I know it's basically, they, apparently they offered it to Howard Stern, but he was playing, uh, doing private parts at the time. But even the kill in the van, I know with the producer's cut, it actually explains that a little bit more as well, doesn't it? Right. In the theatrical cut, he gets into the van and then Michael Myers kills him. And you're kind of wondering, did, did Michael Myers just randomly get into this guy's car and just wait for him for no reason? But in the producer's cut, it turns out that the van he got into wasn't his van. He got into the wrong car. Um, there's a, a slow pan shot of the rest of the van after the shock jock gets in there. And it says Smith's Grove Sanitarium on the side. So he, Michael Myers didn't come to him. He came to Michael Myers. He was just an idiot in the wrong place at the wrong time. Oops. <laughs> yeah. And it's little things like that that makes, again, the coherent nature of the theatrical, the incoherent nature of the theatrical cut, again, why you need something like the producer's cut. Exactly. Exactly. It all comes together a little bit better in the producer's cut. Plus, I just like the magic runes. Yeah. <laughs> Those runes are dope. That's a cool program. Just the, the, the rune, rune Reader 2000. Yes. It's, that's another 90s little trope there with yes. the magic of the internet. Whatever program he was running, it's pretty badass. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Some CSI shit right there. 
That That's... was high tech, state of the art. Yep, that state that was state of the art for like the '90s. That's still state of the art for like now. I mean, because I don't know if I had found ancient text if I could like just pull up like Google Translate and see if it would like. <laughs> he was ahead of if his time. If someone were to like capture that that sequence of images that he had on the screen and just make it into my screensaver when the screen goes idle on my desktop computer, that would be wonderful. <laughs> that would be slick. Even better, I'd like to think that a super fan like yourself, like much like with Neo in the Matrix, when he finally becomes the one and he sees everything in a script, when you reach that peakness, you'll see everything in runes. Runes. Uh-huh. And it's just like, exactly. you know you've hit everything high pitch there. Um, so a couple of other things that I wanted to talk about a little as well is you can't talk about a Halloween movie without talking about the mask. You know, did they get the mask right? Did they pull a uh, Halloween 4 and put a little blonde in it for a shot? But for the most part, I actually thought the structure of the mask was pretty good, except for a little bit of the little... Furl collar? Yeah. The, the What were you calling it earlier there, Genius? Uh, the, yeah, just like his little wings on the side of his neck. He had the heart net wings. The, yeah, the heart net wings. Yeah, um, that was a little, little odd. I, a, I did like the... Um, there was a little bit of grittiness. It wasn't like a, you know, like a, like Halloween four, like this death mask that you, right, you know, they, they made. But um, it was definitely an improvement upon four, and everything's an improvement upon the mask of four, really. Oh yeah, the, yeah. the four's mask is four rough. mask was bad. It is rough. What were what were your thoughts on it, I, genius? Okay, so I liked the structure and the face of it, but my problem, my main problem, besides the heartnet wings was the hair. There the bed head. Was, yeah, he had bed. <laughs> he totally had hair. You know what? Because there was, okay, so there was um, there was this shot where you just see the silhouette of him and just the shadow of him, and he had this hair, and I was like, oh, my God, it's Beetlejuice. You know, and I'm like, hey, kids, you know, come here, got something good for you. And I was just, but it was just the shadow because you couldn't see that him. That was really good, actually. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Learn three boys, fully friends, fun parties. But, uh, and so then, <laughs> and so then when he comes out, I'm like, okay, that's Michael. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't know if it's a charger troll or if it's Beetlejuice, but he has too, he had too much hair. It was just too big. He had big hair and I can't abide that with my Michael Myers. He can drive, but he can't comb his hair. <laughs> right. Comb your goddamn hair. You forget it's Halloween. It's, it's your night. Look good. You know, look, look the part. <laughs> Dress take some pride in yourself. Exactly. Dress for the job you want, not the job you have. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine that's like a class that they taught in the you know Slasher the, school. Yeah. Like okay, if you're chasing, you gotta have you make your hair slick back for aerodynamics, you know? Just Leslie Vernon teaching the class. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the hair. The, the hair really threw me off, especially if you're going to silhouette shot. Yeah, make sure it's frightening and not like treasure troll. I, I didn't have too many problems with it. Um, it's just one of those that it's just, I know it's so hard to replicate from the beginning. But the bedhead, like you said, yeah. It's, it's a little distracting. <laughs> well, I obviously we've seen the mask in the new one. Uh, they've taken a lot of care. They even put a little, like, if you notice, they have a pinhole. On the left-hand side where, you know, little things like that I really appreciate. Um, But again, the fact that they are ignoring all these films that have come before, it's just like you mentioned, it's kind of it's kind of sad. But at the same time, they still exist. We are obviously still celebrating them all. I wouldn't mind seeing. Oh, sorry. Go on. No, I was just saying, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing the Cult of Thorns make it like a resurgence, like a comeback. And I wouldn't even mind seeing the Cult of Thorns like as a major villain in other movies. You know what I'm saying? Because like, 
evil cults can do evil cult. But speaking of other movies, okay. Oh. So one thing that I've, what I, it was almost like fan fiction type thing. But one thing that when the doctor was wearing his cult outfit, it reminded me of Creighton Duke from Jason Goes to Hell. And I would, <laughs> I would love to see like the Creighton Duke Chronicles where he's just going around like fighting fucking slashers and shit, you know, like, here I'm here at Crystal Lake, then I'm off to Haddonfield, and then next thing you know, I'm at Honey on the Swamp. And, you know, he's just like talking about all this shit. I would love to see the Creighton Duke mysteries. That would be cool, actually. Yeah, actually. I, th- I think that the cult, uh, uh, the, the whole cult bloodline thing that we were talking about earlier where they explore the earlier parts of the bloodline, that would make a great series, in my opinion. Um, there's, there's just so, you can go through entire eras and time periods and, mm-hmm. and regions of the world. Well, you um, could go back to the especially old. Consi- right, going back to like the Iron Age mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, you, you could. Can, you, there's a lot of content there. Yeah, you could go to the whole Halloween three. Just the 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 kind of the essence of the anthology was to do different things, you know, every year. But around the cult of thorns. Yeah, I mean the cult of thorns. With it's it's lends itself because it's so it's still mysterious. Even though we've had like I guess a movie and a half explaining what it is, we still don't really know yeah. what their end game except for Eternal Halloween, which I can go for. I can totally go for year long Halloween. I'm down with that. But like I wanna see I wanna know more about the cult, you know? Exactly. And um it would be really cool to see who else was in that bloodline yeah. and, and how they would relate that to the the time period that, that they're setting it in, um, the, the historical context, um, and what that, that power was used for ultimately at, at each time. Yeah, and and uh, the the Michael they're they're Michael of the different times. Like maybe he's Springhill Jack in like uh, Victorian England, you know. But right, but you said something about tracing the bloodlines back. But here's my thing: one, if you're a Strode, why would you move into a, the Myers house? That's that's my because <laughs> like the cheap da- real estate. The dad was awful. The dad yeah. was so awful. I was so glad when he died. I was so excited when they when he got off because he was just a piece of shit. He really had it coming, yeah. <sighs> and he was he was totally a Trump supporter. I'm, I'm telling you right now, if that movie were made today, he'd have he'd have a Make America Great Again hat. You right? Fucking is on his head at that table. Maga. Like, oh, Michael Myers sounds like an immigrant name to me, you know, just getting all pissed off and shit. (laughs) So I can believe that he didn't tell his family on purpose, like like the like his wife was was kind of chastising him for over the phone um, because he didn't believe in anything. He thought it was just hokum. And you're strode. You should not think that it's hokum. You know what I'm saying? You're a goddamn strode. (laughs) Yeah, people people have actually died, but I, I don't know. Talk what about do? going through Trump the bloodline. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's fake news. All fake news. Fake news. <laughs> <laughs> Make so, Halloween great again. <laughs> Make Haddonfield great again. There, it there is. we go. There we go. <laughs> the the variety and frightening ways the Halloween franchise could potentially go at this they point. They got pictures of Michael Myers. Lock him up. Lock him up. You know, just like. <laughs> it's a good thing he doesn't have That's access to emails. Right, the, because. Fucking- God damn it. <laughs> well, that's why we need actually good entertainment in these days and age. Exactly. You know, we will not ignore the continuity of Halloween because whether or not you know you love part two, part three, the curse, they're still there for you. And like I said, this like I said, I enjoyed this rewatch. I had a really good time watching this rewatch. And so, yeah, there's it's good stuff. It's a Halloween movie. It's great. 
any excuse to you know get together again you know talk halloween things like that we enjoy but um i guess you know final thoughts as we you know kind of close up here anya again number one again thank you for taking the time to talk with us congratulations on fangoria but obviously theatrical cut or producer's cut what would you prefer final thoughts so i we only talk about the producer's cut in my house i have the (laughs) theatrical cut i do own it because it's part of the screen factory box set but i did not know that it was the theatrical cut when i got it so um yeah in, in my house it's it's only the producer's cut and that's because it's just it's more cohesive it it makes more sense the kills are slightly less bloody, but I'm okay with that. And it's more in line with the screenwriter's original vision of what it was supposed to be. And so, um, yeah, producers cut all the way for me. How about you, Genius? I know you, you definitely need to check out the producers, the producers cut. cut. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out, especially if it's more culty. So I'm down Way with that. more culty. Cool. Sold. All right. So again, thank you again, Anya, for taking the time to talk with us. Um, and again, anytime, you know, we get to talk with people that, you know, genuinely love films as much as we do. And again, even if we're if we only like, you know, <laughs> Halloween and not love it, it's always good when we know there are, you know, fans out there, especially talented fans that are out there promoting and just putting out the good words. So thank you again for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you guys for having me and for not making fun of me for liking the movie. No, you can, no that's that's what that I was genuinely excited to get you on here to talk about this because that's what we love. That's more than anything. I love hearing people talk about the things they love like that. And for reference, we never make fun of anybody for liking a movie. Not at all. Because no. like we like some I like, proper rubbish. I love I love steel magnolias, so I can't make fun of anyone on anything. So. That is a fantastic movie. Yes, it is, dude. I don't know why you use that as a pejorative. Dude, that's like... <laughs> just testing, just testing. It's, you know, Blush and Bashful. They're my favorite colors. Signature so. colors. Not to Kalea. So again, thank you, Anya. Where And again, where can our listeners find you out on the uh, social media again? Really quickly, plug your Twitter. I am most active on Twitter, and my handle is bookishplinko, B-O-O-K-I-S-H-P-L-I-N-K-O. I had to type it out in front of me. Spell it. And then also make sure you are uh, subscribing to Fangoria. Check out her love of Halloween, Curse of Michael Myers in print, obviously here on the podcast. I know, you know, Anya is just one of the best guests you can get out there. So make sure you're checking out any other podcast you might be hosting on. So final thoughts there, Genius for Halloween, Curse of Michael Myers? I, I dig it. I dig it more, you know, than I did. So, yeah. That is perfect. So I guess uh, until next time, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we will see you in your dreams.